Coming up on Chasing the Natty, we have double trouble as both Nate Marquise and Matthew Bruning join us this week to discuss all the latest and greatest news and details from spring camps across the country. In addition, the transfer portal has been reactivated and we have two players we need to discuss. All this and more coming right after this. Zappi looking to Jared Sturms who makes the catch and scores. What a burst! Trey Vaughn Anderson as advertised. Touchdown, Buckeyes! This is Chasing the Natty, a college fantasy football podcast. All right, welcome in everybody. This is Jared Palmgren, host of the Chasing the Natty podcast. I hope you guys are having a wonderful, wonderful ride on your way to work this morning on hopefully what is a good Monday morning for you guys. It's a great way to start off the week. And even still, what a week this past week has been. Spring camps have been firing up all over the country, and it's like a just wave after wave of new information has been thrown at us through all these different beat writers, all these different sources that we're hearing from. So we're going to cover all of that for you guys today as much as we can, bring you guys what we think is the most important information for you guys to learn from this past week. And on with me this week are two great guys who have been really diving into a lot of these news sources and are really going to help us out today in order to know, like I said, which one of these or which of these storylines are going to impact your CFF leagues this fall the most. First up, he's been on the show or just last week, but he's been on the show plenty of times. But Mr. Nate Marquise, welcome back to the show, sir. How you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Jared. Thanks for having me on again, man. And in addition, um, not only do we have Nate on this week, but we also have Mr. Matthew Bruning. You guys know him as the host of the Debbie Debate, as well as really just C2C, uh, kind of one of the faces of C2C around here. So Matt, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to talk all kinds of spring news. Yeah, I think this is the first time you've been on. I think I, I tried yeah. to get you on last year with one of the live draft live streams, but that kind of fell through a little bit, unfortunately, because I think I had something come up last minute. Um, but even so, Matt's a great guy. Uh, and Matt, you have been doing some spring camp reports on the YouTube channel for Campus to Camp. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about that? Yeah, every uh, every weeknight, if you guys check out the Campus to Canton YouTube channel, I am dropping a anywhere from like 15 to 30 minute episode on just any of the spring camp news that I can find, trying to verify it from as many sources as possible before I talk about it, just to kind of give you guys and continue to update you guys on anything CFF or even for your C2C players on, on just the news that you need to know heading into the season, because there's a lot of stuff going on right now that we don't have answers to, uh, and a lot of those questions could be answered through spring practice. Absolutely. And again, y'all, he's bringing it to you every single week night, just short little videos that make it very digestible for you each night so that you never feel like you're behind on a lot of these spring reports. Absolutely go check that out. In addition, like, I, like I've said to you guys many times before, Chasing Natty is officially the CFF podcast for Campus of Canton, but that doesn't mean we are the only show. We got a whole host of different shows that go out throughout the week, including some from our own CFF team, as you can see on the graphic up there, myself, Nate as well, um, Brandon Sanders and Chris Moxley both had their own shows. We'll run through that for you guys real quick. On Monday, you can join myself and whoever I have on with the Chasing the Natty podcast, the CFF podcast. Uh, you can find that on YouTube and podcast forums. 
On Tuesdays, you have Campus Life with Austin Nace and Colin Decker on, in podcast form, the college side of the Campus Canton podcast. Wednesdays, you have the Devi Debate live stream show on YouTube with Felix Sharp, Matthew Bruning, Austin Nace, and Chris Moxley, as well as whoever they just happen to have on that week for the after show. Absolutely go check that out. Lots of ribbing there. Great time there. On Thursdays, you got Canton Bound with Austin Nace and Colin Decker on the podcast side of things. Once again, NFL side of the Campus of Canton podcast. You also have The Official with Alfred Fernandez, Matt Powell, and David Nipple on YouTube, a recruiting-based show and almost entirely based around analytics. It's a fascinating, fascinating conversation. They are looking for the key pieces you need to be looking for in high school recruits in order to find out how they translate to both the college level and to the NFL level. On Fridays, you can find our friend Brandon Sanders with his own show on podcast and YouTube form, The Future Freshman Podcast. Absolutely check out this next week's episode, by the way, this Friday, because uh, yours truly will be joining that show, and we are we have a ton of great players to discuss for you guys on that one. And like we said, we got a couple of daily shows that are going on with Campus of Canton, including Matt Bruning's now spring report that he is bringing to us. But also, you have the daily draft report on podcast with Dwight Peoples. He is going through both offensive and defensive sides of the ball with that. One prospect a day, very easy listen. And then you also have College Football Filter with Chris Moxley as he brings you a quick little boarding show, bringing you up to date with the latest college news every day. Tons of great stuff. Absolutely go check it out. And if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you hit that notification bell. Make sure you leave a comment down below. Plenty to discuss. I want to hear your thoughts. Every single one of them. If you want to DM me on Twitter, I am at CFF underscore Jared. Nate is at CFF Nate. Uh, Matt is at Sports Fanatic, is Sports Fanatic NB, correct? Yes, sir. All right. Just making sure I got that right. So absolutely reach out to all of us. We're all very pretty open with our DMs and such. But even still, enough of that spiel. Let's get into today's show. Like we, like I said, we're going to really dive into some of these spring p- reports. But first, we need to talk about two players that have, one has entered the transfer portal, one has found his home. And unfortunately, both of these came like less than 24 hours after recording last week's show. So some of this might be a little bit of old news, but we do need, we do want to discuss on the show. Let's go ahead and get into it. First, we are going to discuss quarterback Jaden Daniels going from Arizona State to LSU. Mess up the graphic. My apologies, y'all. Even still. Um, wasn't exactly a great farewell for Jaden Daniels after he left Arizona State. He had his lock ransacked. He, um, there were some scandals kind of going on all over Arizona State. There were some rumors that uh, maybe his family might have been involved with some of that, but even still... He has moved on, and he's really kind of looking for a place to make a last stand in terms of where he could kind of get the NFL stock that people were giving him after his freshman year, after um, in his sophomore and junior years. Neither one of them really kind of lived up to that initial freshman performance, although last year was by far his best year running the ball, ran for over 700 yards. Uh, Let's flip a coin here. Matt. What do you think about James Daniels, and what do you think about his um, Trent or him landing at LSU? I think it's a very interesting place for him to go. It's not at all what I was expecting. Um, I, I'm not a big fan of Brian Kelly as just an overall coach. I think he's a good CEO. I don't love. I don't remember the name off the top of my head. The offensive coordinator he brought in. Uh, but I don't believe he's going to be a great fit for Daniels' skill set. I, I do think that Daniels is going there though in some 
aspect of believing he's going to be the starting job. I can't believe with all the rumors we heard of, of what was going on at LSU and the quote unquote helicopter parenting that he had going on that he was going to go somewhere where he wasn't going to win the job. Uh, mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, he had a, a an amazing freshman season, and we all thought he was going to build off that. And I don't want to necessarily say that he is what we saw the past two seasons. I mean, 2020 COVID year, they only played in four games. I think it is kind of hard for a player to go out there and look absolutely amazing. I don't think many Pac-12 players looked really great in that COVID season because most of those guys played four to six games. And then even last year, I know he had a full season, but everything going on at Arizona State with all the coaching change moves, with all the quote possible sanctions that were coming, like I think it was smart for him to get out. Um, LSU is definitely an interesting landing spot because if he is able to go out there and let's say he just replicates what he did his freshman season with almost 3,000 passing yards, 17 passing touchdowns, two interceptions, adds in the rushing yards, like we know that that's going to boost his stock because he's got LSU and SCC attached to his name. So, And I do think there's a chance to do that because Brian Kelly does run a, a conservative offense. I think they'll limit how much Jaden Daniels has to think. He'll, they'll allow him to use his legs a little bit. So it's going to be interesting. I don't know if he's exactly going to win that job, but if he does, I, I would be very intrigued to see what he's able to do every single week with LSU. I want to disagree slightly with you, Matt, in in terms of how he fits with their new offensive coordinator. Their new offensive coordinator is Den, uh, Den Brock, who they just brought over from Cincinnati. And Cincinnati had Desmond Ritter, who is also kind of more of a dual-threat quarterback. And I do think they've specifically brought in Daniels because it gave them an opportunity to kind of use a guy with a little bit similar skill set in terms of rushing the ball that Ritter had that, let's be real, Miles Brennan does not have. And so I think that's part of the reason why they brought him in here in the first place. Now, I granted to you, skill sets not entirely translatable, as we kind of I'll kind of mention here probably a little bit, is that Jaden Daniels is kind of tiny, uh, especially for a like above six foot quarterback. He's like 180 pounds, so like he's not going to be able to take the hits, especially in the SEC that he was going to be able to take in the Pac-12. And yeah, so even still, Nate, what are your thoughts on Jaden Daniels moving over to LSU? Well, I, I totally agree with Matt in that it was wise for him to get out of um, Arizona State. I mean, that that program right now is just kind of a dumpster fire. Uh, he would be working with his third offensive coordinator in four years over there at Arizona State. Uh, it's a system that just did not match uh, his skill set at all. So uh, I do think Denbrock's a interesting fit. Uh, he does have a history, obviously, with with the dual threat quarterbacks. So that's nice. Um, whenever, you know, I tweeted out whenever he announced he was going to the portal that this is a pretty much wherever he ended up was going to be a bump for me in, in where I had him ranked. I just couldn't get much lower for him than where he was at with Arizona state. He had no playmakers around him. It was a, it was a slow, super run heavy offense. So I, I think he's landed at a, uh, you know, potentially a system and a coordinator that fits his skill set. Um, and clearly he's got some uh, wide receivers to work with. I mean, they're, they are not short um, of wide receiver talent there in Baton Rouge. So I think that's nice. Um, even though he is slight framed, the guy's been super durable. I mean, he doesn't miss games. Uh, so he's got at least that going for him. Uh, you know, I think it's a good fit. I, I'm actually – I like what I've seen from Miles Brennan and the limited time that we have seen him. I think he's a really nice player, but if you're going to go out and get the quarterback that fits your OC system, like LSU did, I just think that it sends a message that he's clearly got the leg up going into this competition. Uh, So it wouldn't shock me 
that he wins. It also wouldn't shock me if after the spring we see Miles Brennan uh, on the move somewhere. Yeah, I, 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 that's what my initial thought was when they brought in Daniels. Was I'm like, this has to feel like such a backstab for Brennan because he was in the portal. And you had Brian Kelly and the staff come to him and say, hey, no, listen, we want you to come back. And they, they managed to convince him to come back. And I have to imagine that part of that was saying, like, no, we want you. We want you to be our guy. Because um, Brennan doesn't have much eligibility left. So he's got to do something with himself soon if he wants to go to the NFL. And it's like, I thought he was going to be the guy for a while. And I was ready to draft him as a CFF quarterback. Because, again, I love the weapons they have there. And Brennan's a pretty good passer. But now they bring in Daniels, and I wholeheartedly agree with you, Nate, that they're bringing Daniels in to be the guy. I don't, like, he is not the kind of quarterback that you bring in to be a depth piece. He is going in with the intention of taking that job. So, like I, like you said, Nate, I, I fully expect Brendan to enter the transfer portal relatively quickly. Yeah. Matt, do you have any more thoughts on Daniels before we move on to our second player here? No, I mean, I, I do feel bad for Brennan as well, as you mentioned. The one thing I will say, I, I've been saying it a while for, for a while now, that I, I don't think college coaches really care about these kids. Their job is to win, and so I can't blame them. Like you guys said, I, I forgot who the offensive coordinator was, so bringing in Denbrook, like you're right, Jaden Daniels fills that role a whole lot better than Brennan does. I can't fault the coaching staff for going and do that. Sucks for Brennan. Hopefully he's able to land somewhere and get, get some more playing time. But uh, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting. Nate threw out of the chat the other day, the idea of Brennan transferring to Texas tech. I would, I would not be opposed to whatsoever. No, I want to see Baron Morton win that job. <laughs> we will see. We will see. All righty. We'll move on to the second player in the transfer portal this week. This one is entering the portal he has had several offers from all across the place, but we got Mr. Corey Rucker, wide receiver from Arkansas State. If I can look it up real quick, I believe he finished as the wide receiver 42 last year. A lot of people were drafting him much higher than that last year because everybody thought that they were still going to get the Blake Anderson wide receiver one. Yeah, he was drafted as the he was drafted as the uh, wide receiver 21 last year. So now. I think everybody, including Rucker now, realizes that that offensive system is not quite the same as it was when Anderson was there, and he's quite trying to get out of Dodge, as far as I can tell. Some of these offers that he, and God bless Rucker for posting very clearly who has offered him so far, but some of these offers to me are quite intriguing. We got places like Washington State, uh, Virginia Tech, uh, Utah State, um, Auburn, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Texas State. Uh, Nate, we'll start with you this time. What do you think about Rucker transferring, and which of these la potential landing spots that he's kind of put out there as the places that have offered him intrigues you the most? Well, you probably won't find a bigger Corey Rucker fan than myself. I, you know, you say his his ADP last year was twenty one. I was one of the people taking him well before that, even last year. Uh, he, so he obviously underperformed my expectations. He was dinged up quite a bit last year. So, uh, I'll give him a little bit of a pass on that. And obviously, uh, the QB, uh, carousel that kept going on there at uh, Arkansas state didn't help either. So, um, you know, I'm good. I, I, I like the idea of him transferring Butch Jones has, has totally ruined, uh, what was once a great fantasy, uh, offense down there. So I, I'm good with him transferring as far as landing spots. Sure. I mean, Washington State would be really fun. They obviously are going to throw the ball around quite a bit. 
you know, him going back home to Ole Miss would uh, would be really intriguing just because they really haven't established uh, a wide receiver one. I mean, Mingo's probably that guy right now, but, um, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces with the changes on offense and the new quarterback there and everything like that. Uh, I actually think that South Alabama would be kind of interesting. It wouldn't be much for his draft potential, but to fill into that Jalen Tolbert type role, uh, I think he could dominate at a place like that. And but, he was previously committed to South Alabama before going to Arkansas State. Exactly, exactly. I Honestly, I think any of these spots would be an upgrade unless he's considering, strongly considering like an Auburn, um, a South Carolina, something like that. I don't want him to to get lost in the shuffle of, of what's just really a bad uh, passing offense there at Auburn. I, I think that would be, I, I think that would be a horrible landing spot for him. Matt, what do you think, sir? Is there any one of these spots that are really intriguing to you? Yeah, I mean, I think he hit on Ole Miss. That's kind of the big one, obviously, with Jackson Dart going there. You got Lane Kiffin, who has typically been able to make his wide receivers very viable. I, I actually don't mind South Carolina. Maybe that's just Moxley rubbing off on me too much and, and getting Spencer Rattler there. Um, I, I'm very intrigued with what that offense will look like. I think he could be one of the best, better wide receivers there. But Ole Miss is definitely the one that stands out to me, Like especially with, you know, Nate mentioned – if he wants to improve his draft capital, again, we're talking about Jaden Daniels just a minute ago going to the SEC. I mean, if he goes to Ole Miss and smashes in that offense, you've got SEC next to your name, Ole Miss, really great season. That's just going to help improve his draft capital. So Ole Miss is kind of the one that stands out the most to me out of uh, the list that he's got. I'm kind of surprised that neither one of you mentioned Utah State and him going back to Blake Anderson. Like That's the whole reason why Rucker was really on the map for most of us in the first place was because he looked like he would be that next guy up after the lineage of Omar Bayless and Jonathan Adams Jr., it looked like Corey Rucker was going to take over as that next wide receiver one for Anderson, but then Anderson goes off to Utah State. Why not reunite Rucker over there, especially with that wide receiver room just wide open right now? Nate, we talked about this last week, where we don't know who's going to be that guy at Utah State. Rucker could absolutely come in with the experience that he's had with Anderson and Anderson's already shown that when he when he has a guy that's had experience with him before he's willing to absolutely use him like Brandon Bowling was like the wide receiver four at Arkansas State the year before but I think he was like the wide receiver two at Utah State this year so it's like he's clearly favorable to guys that he's worked with before and so I think Rucker absolutely could go, go in there and possibly very quickly become the clear number one wide receiver he'd probably jump up in the top five wide receivers for me for CFF this year if he went to Utah State Top five? Top five. I would say wow. so. Wow. Yeah, I mean, obviously, that's Utah State would be a fun uh, landing spot for him. I don't think, just in the reality of, of the situation, he's much closer to Lane Hatcher than he is Logan Bonner and, and some of the other guys that also followed him over there to Utah State. So I, I think, in reality, the, the more likely spot that he goes to is Texas State than it would be Utah State. But – I mean, yeah, you, we, we've talked about it numerous times on here. Utah State's clearly looking for uh, a new alpha now that Devin Tompkins has moved on. And, and we know Blake Anderson uh, can feed a, a wide receiver one like, like no other. So, yeah, that'd be super fun. I'll also point out Texas State was the first school to offer him once he was in the transfer portal, at least according to the timeline that Rucker posted. So Yeah, him and Lane are close, close. So. Yeah, that, that, that could be very fun as well. Probably not top five for me there, but he would probably jump up quite a bit for me there. Definitely more than he would be at Arkansas State. All right, 
Let's get into the meat and potatoes of the show. We're already 20 minutes in, so let's go ahead and move on to some of these spring battles. And so, Nate, Matt, you guys did a fantastic job kind of bringing to me like what you guys think are the most important storylines for us to cover this week. So we're going to go ahead and start with one of Matt's storylines that he wants to cover here, and that is the Oregon quarterback battle. So Matt, what are you hearing here, and what's important for us to learn? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of talk about this. These two guys in Bo Nix and Ty Thompson. Ty Thompson, the highest quarterback recruit Oregon has ever been able to get to come to their university. And we all thought he was going to take that step forward this year and be the guy with Mario Manningham moving on. Anthony Brown, who was just... I'm sorry, Mario Cristobal. I don't know why I said Mario Manningham. He's a wide receiver for... Was a wide receiver for the Giants. Mario Cristobal and the Cristobalers down there in Miami. Um, Ty Thompson, we thought was going to take over because of all them leaving Anthony Brown was just not that good, but it was definitely a little bit concerning, right? Like we know Anthony Brown kind of struggled down the back half and we never saw Thompson get in, thought maybe there was something to do with Mario, just not really having a feel for him and maybe he was playing bad. And then OC Kenny Dillingham comes over with Dan Lanning, who I think is going to be an amazing coach. Like everything I've seen and everything I've heard from the practices, they're really loving uh, his energy that he's been bringing. And then Bo Nix transfers there. And we know that he has that connection with Dillingham from their first year in Auburn, where you could argue Bo Nix statistically has put up his best season. So far, everything I'm reading from the camp is that both of them have been practicing almost in sync, Bo Nix and Ty Thompson. They've been getting most of the reps and anytime Jay Butterfield, who is technically there competing as well, has been part of the group, he's kind of not looked like he belongs, unfortunately, for him. Uh, the one thing I will point out, and I wish I had, I'm going to tweet it out later because I was trying to refine where I found it. Uh, there's a picture of Ty Thompson standing next to Bo Nix floating around, and Ty Thompson is, like, cut. He's put on some weight this offseason, which they've said is a big deal. He just looks completely different standing next to Bo Nix. But there is also a lot of talk about how good those two, their relationship has been as well. Bo Nix and Ty Thompson, anytime they throw, they get together, they talk about what they saw. They're working a lot more with the tight ends. Um, and a guy that apparently has been staying at the tight end position with them is, is I can't say his name, uh, Malatilovo, I think is his last name. I don't know how to say it, but he was a fairly highly recruited tight end as well. But the other things that I think are important with Thompson here is he's also spending a lot of time with Dillingham, which I do think is a big deal because we know Dillingham already has that relationship with Bo Nix. There's been multiple times that we've they uh, reporters have said they've seen Kenny Dillingham and Ty Thompson actually sprinting and racing each other in practice and joking around because Ty Thompson pretty much burns him every single time. They joke about it. It seems like those guys are having a lot of fun. I think this is a big thing for Oregon's offense. We, we know everything that's going on at UC or USC right now with Lincoln, Lincoln Riley going down there. I don't know that USC is set to win the Pac-12 this year. I think Utah's probably the favorite to win, but I don't think Oregon is that far off from them. And if Ty Thompson can step in and lead this offense the way I think he can, and this offense is as explosive as it can be, Oregon could win the Pac-12 and, and at least kind of compete in there with, I think, USC, who is obviously on the rise. So it's a very interesting quarterback battle. I know a lot of people are just giving it to Bo Nix because of the relationship, but I think Ty Thompson overall is the better player. Very, very curious to see how this plays out because I think it could really affect the Oregon offense this season. That's a ton of information I'm trying to digest here real quick. But, yeah, it, that it is it is very interesting because, again, you have the older Lower, I'd say lower ceiling prospect, but more experienced guy in Bo Nix. Started for Auburn for three years already. Like you said, has a relationship with Dillingham. 
but also you do have the younger, higher upside guy in Ty Thompson. The, point, the thing I'll point out here is that Dan Landing is coming from the Kirby Smart coaching tree. And as people remind me so much, uh, the offenses at Georgia have never been quite efficient. Is that something we're kind of afraid of here with Dan Lanning coming over from that environment here, that he may go with the safer guy in Bo Nix, but the lower ceiling guy? Nate, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I've, you know, I, I feel like I've seen enough of Dillingham and to know that his system is, I mean, it, it's very different from what we've seen at Georgia. So I don't know that I'm so much worried about that, that Kirby Smart's going to run up, rub off uh, on landing, and then that's going to rub off on, on their system there at Oregon. I, I think those are two separate things. Okay. As, as far as, as far as the QB situation, I, I've, I've been fascinated by how much Ty Thompson has been dedicated to that program there at Oregon. It seems like every time there's some kind of a change or he gets beat out by somebody. I mean, you sit there and watch Anthony Brown just uh, <laughs> crap the bed week in, week out. It seemed like last week in some of their biggest games uh, last year in some of their biggest games. And yet every time he'd go on the Twitter and post about how much he loves the Oregon Ducks. And so it's clear uh, as I've been reading the same thing that, that Matt has mentioned, that there's definitely a relationship um, that seems to be pretty amicable between him and Bo Nix and Dillingham. The three of them seem to be getting along very well, uh, which just leads me to believe that even if he loses this job, let's say Bo, <clears throat> let's say Bo Nix starts the first few weeks of the seasons uh, of the season. I don't, I don't think that Ty Thompson is going anywhere. Like it just seems like he is really dedicated to that program. So um, that, that may put to bed some of the, some of the ideas that maybe he can move on somewhere else. But um, yeah, I mean, some of the reports that I've read do kind of lead me to believe that this is, this is a competition. I, I thought Bo Nix would come in and, and probably run with this job, but I'm, you know, whereas I may have thought, you know, 80% chance he gets a job. Maybe I'm, I'm thinking more like 70 to 60 at this, at this point. So Nate, I don't have your rankings pulled up for CFF, but are either Bo Nix or Ty Thompson in your rankings right now? Yeah, Bo Nix is in my rankings. Bo Nix um, is in your rankings. Where do you have him at? I don't remember off the top of my head, but um, like roughly. I guess roughly probably around QB, probably somewhere between 45 and 50. Okay. Would that raise, like, would that become higher if, like, Ty Thompson just outright won the job, or really if either of them outright won the job? Mm. Or is that assuming that Bo Nix is a starter? If Ty Thompson outright wins that job, then I would give him a bump over where I have Bo Nix right okay. now, just because I think his his ceiling is probably a little higher. We've seen enough of Bo Nix to know where his ceiling is. I don't think we've we've we haven't seen that from Ty Thompson. If he comes out and if he just beats out Bo Nix, a three year starter with the OC that hand picked him, uh, then that tells me a lot that they like a lot of what they're seeing from Ty Thompson. So I'd be willing to give him um, a little bit of a bump there for sure. Absolutely. Matt, do you have anything else before we move on to our next uh, spring camp news? I would just like to echo what Nate said on the, the Dillingham thing. I think that is a, a big indicator that maybe Lanning is not going to follow that same conservative offense. I mean, I know they had Munkin in there recently. He may still be there at Georgia. I can't remember exactly who their offensive is. coordinator is. Yeah, but but Dillingham and what he was able to do at Auburn, he's always seemed to have a pretty high passing offense attack even after he left there. So I don't think that at least right now, from the outside look at things, we won't know till the season kicks off that it looks like that won't be rubbing off on landing, or at least we hope. Yeah, definitely we would hope. I got Nix at I got Nix at fifty two. Just looked it up real quick. 
52. Perfect. All right, we're going to move on from Eugene, Oregon, and we're going to go all the way to Eugene, Oregon. And Nate, you wanted to talk about the running back. Is it? I, I say battle here on the on the graphic, but really the the point here is that it's becoming less and less of a battle. Nate, what are your thoughts? Or what are, what are we hearing on the Oregon RB situation? Yeah, so this is what we know so far. Uh, obviously, Verdell went pro. Uh, Travis Dye transferred over to USC. Trey Benson transferred to Florida State, I believe. And now we're hearing reports. So we thought that this could be somewhat of a three-man battle, um, I guess potentially four-man once we talk about the freshman. But, but now we're hearing reports that Seven McGee has moved over to the slot receiver position, uh, which is actually kind of fascinating. I thought he would take on um, that kind of hybrid role, but it seems like they've officially moved him over to wide receiver, and he's just going to work strictly there for, uh, at, at practice for the time being. So um, that just leaves two scholarship running backs uh, on roster during their spring camp. And that's Byron Cardwell and then Sean Dollars, who, who actually floated around with the uh, flirted with the transfer portal uh, about a month ago or so. But he's he's out of the portal and back at practice now. Um, you know, we've seen enough of of Dollars really in he, he's been on campuses is what I guess he's been there three years. He redshirted. He did basically nothing in the 2020 COVID year. Uh, and then he was injured all of last year. I, I don't think he's exciting anybody too much. Cardwell, somebody I wrote about um, in the stock up report that I had, the pre-spring stock up. So, uh, you know, just with all that vacant opportunity that, that you know, left, there's, there's a big-time opportunity for production for him. And that only appears to be increasing uh, with spring camp. Jordan, uh, what was it? Jordan James was Jordan the James. one that flipped. Yeah, he flipped from, or I guess he was strongly considering George. I don't know if it was officially a flip. He, but... he had he had committed to Georgia for a while. Okay. Yeah, and he was a he was a late um, change over there to Oregon. So uh, he's he's a freshman I like quite a bit, and and I think he could he could push for a little bit of that um, that piece of the pie once he gets there. But he's not he's not there in spring camp right now. So he is not with the with the totally new staff. It's Cardwell and, and Dollars that are the one that are getting to kind of uh, stamp their name on that position. So I think this is a big leg up for Cardwell kind of making uh, making his way and, and taking advantage of, of kind of getting a stranglehold on that job. Yeah, and I think that's going to be huge. And honestly, with this kind of with this news more and more like Cardwell's got to move up your rankings, just like you said, just because. It's really quickly becoming he's the last man standing because it doesn't sound like Dollars is going to be doing much uh, in terms of getting his own workload. So, Matt, what are your thoughts on Byron Cardwell and the Oregon running back situation right now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's great for him. We, we've seen that they um, typically have had a very productive running back for CFF and, you know, those guys translating to the NFL. So I think it's a great move for Cardwell, especially that seven McGee is gone. I don't know that he was going to really take much away from Cardwell. I think most of us probably expected him to be more of like a receiving back, but the fact that he's moved on, I mean, and it seems to be thriving at wide receiver too. There was a, a report today that he was looking explosive in the open field and he was very dangerous and finding space uh, in the secondary. So it looks like he's full in on being a wide receiver there for Oregon. So I think it hits its wheels up for Cardwell and he should have hopefully a really good season. I mean, yeah, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, there's really not much else to really kind of say here again um, with Cardwell again, like you said, wheels up. 
So let's go ahead and move on to another situation that Matt wanted to highlight here today, and that is going to be the Michigan quarterback battle between, as you can see here on the graphic, Mr. Cade McNamara on the left and Mr. J.J. McCarthy on the right. Matt, I would like to say that this is us talking about how the younger, more talented guy in J.J. McCarthy is likely going to take over. But as we are hearing right now, that's probably not going to be the case. What do you got, sir? Yeah, unfortunately, and it hurts my heart to talk about that team up north, but I do think this is a, a big deal, not just for, for C2C leagues, but probably CFF as well, because we saw McCarthy looked pretty good at times last year. And I do think really in that Georgia game in the playoffs, he, show, he showed his flashes of, of brilliance. And I was really excited to see him kind of come in here to Michigan and battle with McNamara to see if he could win this job. But he has been slowed down this spring due to a lingering shoulder injury, and it's definitely putting a dent in the offseason position battle. Uh, head coach Jim Harbaugh characterized the injury as a lingering arm soreness that carried over from the 2021 season. They have sought out doctors on trying to figure out like a short term, but they also do have a long term plan for his health. And they said they are working on that plan. He didn't really elaborate much on that, just said that McCarthy is going to rest his right throwing shoulder over the next couple months. And that's the key thing there for me months. But he will remain active in practices. They're not having him throw. And every time he was asked, he declined to provide any kind of timetable on when McCarthy will throw again. Uh, he did go and explain, though, that or did clarify that Cade McNamara is continuing to take all of the first team reps at quarterback and has looked really good for Michigan. So I honestly don't think this is a quarterback battle anymore, which kind of sucks. I, I don't see any way, you know, if he's going to be out for months and we're talking about, so maybe. June, he's able to get back out there. I don't know that he's going to come in there and be able to beat out McNamara in a month to take over this starting job because they're going to start getting ready for the season. Now, maybe we see McCarthy take over at some point in time in the season. I don't know that we see the success out of Michigan. We saw this past season, so if they lose a game or two, does McCarthy go in? But I do think this is definitely a hit for you know, our hope in this guy coming in here and, you know, getting paired with a Donovan Edwards and AJ Henning and, and seeing maybe a possible new high flying offense for Michigan. I think that's kind of going by the wayside now with, with McCarthy's shoulder injury. What do you think, Nate? Do you agree with that? Or do you, are you a little bit more optimistic about the Michigan's future here? Well, I've, I've learned over the years that investing in Michigan and, and Harbaugh quarterbacks is not something I, I want to make a habit of doing. Uh, for college fantasy football purposes, you know, I'm with Matt. It's, it's frustrating. It's similar to the Oregon situation. If that, if McCarthy wins the job, um, just like Ty Thompson, it's, it's a little bit more appealing than McNamara just because of his upside, because of the skill set that he has. And yeah, I mean, it doesn't look likely at this point because you basically what he needed to take it from the incumbent uh, McNamara was, you know, for the coaches to have a reason in, to say to the to the team and to the quarterbacks, hey, McCarthy came out here and won it. He won it in spring camp. He won it with his workouts over the summer and, and that type of deal. Now he doesn't get that opportunity. So it's going to be really hard for the coaches to sell a QB change uh, come week one whenever McCarthy hasn't had the opportunity to prove it. Absolutely. And like Matt was kind of saying, where it's like not, not only does McCarthy not really have the chance to come out here and prove it because he can't be 100% during practices, but you tie that in as well with the idea that McNamara is looking good, at least according to the coaches. Now, again, it's Harbaugh and everything, so it's like you don't know how like what their standards are in terms of like looking good for their quarterbacks are. But 
even so if, if they if they think that he is looking good right now it's definitely kind of closing that opportunity for McCarthy to kind of take over and I'm I'm kind of with Matt at this point like there's not a quarterback battle here I would like there to be because like like Matt said like I do think McCarthy kind of brings a higher upside to this offense um than in the past but as far as I'm yeah I'm with Matt as far as I'm concerned there is no battle here and it's really not something people should be paying attention to much more going forward unless something changes either one of y'all have thoughts on this before we move on all right i think we got it all right so let's move on to who's in my opinion one of the guys that's been a buzz uh throughout several different channels i'm definitely gonna be talking about him with uh brandon sanders on the future freshman pod we're going to go over to back to Oregon. We're going to go to Oregon State. We're, we're spending a lot of time on the West Coast uh, today. And we need to talk about the Oregon State running back battle. Currently coming down to Trey Lowe and true freshman Damian Martinez. Nate, you're the one that wanted to talk about this. What do you got for us, sir? What's important here? Well, and I also, just to, to add one more guy to the mixer, Deshaun Finwick is still on campus. I think he's actually probably the, the odds-on favorite and everything. Yeah, so I've been paying attention to the practice reports, and, and luckily Jonathan Smith is, is nice enough to give like a rundown, uh, video rundown after every practice, uh, just kind of what he saw and, and, and how things are looking with their spring. And – so obviously I'm watching that because I want to know what's going on with the running back situation over there. Jonathan Smith has produced some really, really high-end fantasy uh, running backs. Damian Martinez is one guy that he continues to bring up in those uh, those after-practice, post-practice uh, uh, videos. He's six foot, 220 pounds. He's from Louisville, Texas, which pretty high-end football there. Um, he's the type of guy that he runs through arm tackles. Uh, he's, he's very physical, often dragging guys uh, on some of the tape that I watch. He's got soft hands, which is nice because Oregon State does target their, their running backs out of the backfield a fair amount. Um, I'm not sure that he's going to like win trying to get to the edge. Um, and, uh, you know, his long speed probably leaves a little bit to be desired. Uh, ran in a 11-3-7 on the 100 as a junior. But he does a lot of the things that Smith and, and the offensive coordinator there, uh, Lingren, really like. Um, like I said, Finnewick's still there. Trey Lowe's still there. I mean, Finnewick was, was outplayed by Baylor most of the season last year. He had some moments, but he was outplayed by B.J. Baylor. Trey Lowe, he's kind of a change of pace type back, um, not an every down kind of guy. Uh, but, I mean, it's, it's safe to say that Martinez is definitely at least earning some reps based off of uh, what we're hearing from spring. And that's, that's a position that you, you want to take a hard look at. BJ Baylor went for 1300 yards and 13 TDs, a couple, you know, uh, last year, um, Jamar Jefferson had 800 yards and, and seven touchdowns in just six games back in 2020. So uh, Smith has produced running backs at Oregon state. He's produced them at Washington. It's something to keep an eye on. I mean, absolutely. And like, I'll, I'll throw a couple of things I've read from different beat writers, and I'll mention the actual outlets by name. So, like, if you, if uh, if these are outlets that you don't think I should trust, call me out on it. But even so, like, I read from Oregon Live saying that Martinez had been splitting carries between the second and first team units, and then from Beavers Edge when they kind of made their mock of the first team offense. 
they had Trey Lowe and Damian Martinez listed as the uh, first-team running backs, not Deshaun Fenwick, which I found very, very interesting. So, well, I, I think so. I've read the same thing as you read. So okay. they're they were basing off of what they've seen so far in practice. And Jonathan Smith has come out and said that Fenwick's not going to practice much in the spring. He said, okay. we've seen, en- we've seen enough from him. We know what we've got. We want to get the other guys some reps. So okay. I think it's just a situation kind of like uh preseason NFL games, you know, they're just resting him and, and want to see what the young guys can do. Okay. That makes sense. Again, like I said, call me out on it. If I miss something, even so Matt, what are your thoughts on this? Is there any, anything really that's like standing out to you about this? Yeah, I think it's just that he's getting so much positive pub out of camp, right? I mean, Nate mentioned a lot of the stuff that that Jonathan Smith has talked about, and I agree, you know, not even just B.J. Baylor before him, Jamar Jefferson in two years there, his freshman season, and even his last year with the team, if it was COVID, produced an amazing season. I know a lot of people may not have played CFF that year because we didn't know what was going on with with all the colleges but still if you go back and look at what Jamar Jefferson did and I think four or five games he he had an amazing multiple games over 200 yards rushing he was one of my favorite backs coming out that year into the NFL draft but you know like Nate mentioned uh there's a lot of talk about how just how good he's looked everywhere maybe it is because Fenwick's not practicing uh Martinez has been running with the ones and the twos and every time I go in and look at like a recap of a report there's it's not even just him. Like if you go look at beaverblitz.com, which is 24-7's like board for them. What a great name. All the, I know, right? All they're talking about is how great Damian Martinez is looking compared to not even just the running backs, everybody else on the team. Like he's the one who's getting all of the pub, what he's doing in the receiving game. There was just the other day in their practice, he broke off a massive run, hit a couple cutback lanes, and then just bullied defenders over to get a first down. Like he's He's really making a name for himself, and I, I do think that even – I talked about this on my first spring video that I did because I brought up, you know, how good they've been in producing these running backs, that even if he maybe doesn't get the starting job this year, I don't know that he's a, like, two-year-and-gone kind of player, so I think there's a chance you get him for three years, and if he's already this good, if he ends up being the starting running back, say, for the Oregon State Beavers for the next three years, he's a guy – no one up until this point has been talking about it all that I've seen. I, I haven't seen him in any of the CFF mocks. He's still not going in our 40 plus round C2C drafts right now. So he's a guy I think you could get an absolute steal on that could produce for you. Yeah, I love I love Damian Martinez for CFF Dynasty pr- uh, purposes this year. Uh, I'm probably going to have him higher than most people are going to have him because again, to me, him getting buzzed this early on, and I, I, I'm learning this more and more about myself over the last couple of years. I'm just a sucker for guys who come in early and roll early and make impressions in that first spring camp. I, I really am a sucker for that because if you can turn heads as soon as you get there, and you have an oper- and you have a leg up on other freshmen that are coming in during the fall, that tells me that you are absolutely in line to get opportunities that those other guys aren't going to get. And Damian Martinez to me is the perfect example of that here where he's coming in, he's already look looking like he's very much easily second team behind Trey Lowe and Deshaun Fenwick, but those guys are gone within a year or two. And so like unless Oregon State becomes a much better recruiting powerhouse, I don't really see them over recruiting a guy like Martinez like like you guys said plays for Louisville High School, which plays at the highest uh, division for high school. Please ignore my cat. Um, 
She uh, she always makes an appearance when we discuss running back competition. She really does. Like she loves running backs. Anyway, but again, like I said, Louisville High School plays at the highest division of Texas football. And again, if you guys know anything about Texas football, it that's probably some of the best high school football in the country. So I'm honestly kind of surprised that more people weren't already talking about him. Yeah, it's. I think probably. I mean, he's he's somebody that I think you you only draft for dynasty purposes. You, you can't take him in. in oh, not for redraft, redraft. not yet. Right. Yeah, but I think the the beauty of of his situation is he comes in at two twenty and he looks every bit of it. So he's not somebody that the staff is going to have to wait for that physical development. He comes in um, from everything I've seen on some of the tape as a complete back, somebody that can block, somebody that can um, that can catch out of the backfield. So yeah, I mean that's that's nice. I mean he's 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 going to he's somebody that's going to get reps as a true freshman. He's also playing in the Pac-12, so it's not even like we're ha- we have to worry about him going up against like SEC or Big Ten defenders. Oh, come on, Georgia guy! I know not everybody can be Georgia. <laughs> All right, Matt, just, you got it. Just it just means more. It just means more. All right, Matt, you got any thoughts on this before we head before we move on to the next one? No, sir. All right, let's go to one of your. Uh, I, I want to say battle, Matt, but you really just kind of made this very vague. So we're just going to talk about Ohio State battles here. Um, yes. Everybody, uh, take take a shot. Uh, Matt's talking about Ohio State. So, Matt, take, what you- take, take a shot of water because we're going to talk a lot of Ohio State here really quick. And I might <laughs> mention it many times. So I don't want anybody to get hurt. If you, if you, got, the, if you got the Chris Moxley counter ready, just take a break. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't want to limit it to one thing because I got a lot of uh, a lot of news out of Ohio State here recently. I mean, if we want to limit it to one thing, the wide receivers is the main thing we're going to talk about here. But I just wanted to point out, we'll start with the quarterbacks because it's real easy. Uh, I mean, C.J. Stroud is taking on more of a control of this offense. They like how much he's mentally gotten more and more just dived into this playbook it seems like Wilson and Day are going to just kind of let him run with this offense which I do think is a good thing for him we don't see a lot of quarterbacks get full control of the offense on the wide receiver side of things some of you may have seen that that Marvin Harrison video or picture circling of what he looked like last year compared to this year he looks like a completely different player and he said that was his offseason goal actually right now he is sitting at 6'3 205 and he wants to stay at that size and that lean he feels like he plays better there he for the most part is locked in at the x right now julian fleming is actually locked in at the z which i do think is a big deal we've all kind of been figuring out how is the starting wide receiver group going to look as of right now julian fleming is locked in as the z starter with Jaden ballard behind him get to that in a minute because i think that's important and then jason locked in at the slot ryan day has gone out of his way though to mention while marvin harrison is the x starter for them both him and emeka egbuka are being moved all around the formation because he wants them to feel comfortable playing in every single position throughout the year because they will be rotated so i do think mecca is going to have a big part of this offense but he's not really locked into a starter spot Jaden Ballard's the interesting one to me because he was a highly recruited guy last year. He's a guy that a lot of us liked with his speed and what he's able to do on the field. The fact that he's locked into the Z behind Fleming, I think means he could have sneaky upside because we know Fleming every single year has dealt with injuries. And if he kind of goes out there and gets injured or disappoints, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Ballard out there in the Z role and being used as that deep threat. And we saw how CJ Stroud used um, Chris Olave in that role last year. So JSN's obviously the guy. He's going to be targeted a ton, but Ballard is kind of a, a sneaky guy. 
there for me. And the running backs, Evan Pryor is seizing opportunity to jump Mayan Williams as a two this year, and he's doing everything he can to capitalize on that. He felt some of his issues were he danced around a little bit too much in the backfield looking for the perfect hole. He's learning this year to just kind of hit it with his burst and, and take on some defenders. Uh, and then Travion Henderson just just wheels up. I know some people, if you really weren't paying attention, may have been worried uh, that he he lost out on some carries last year to Mayan Williams. Apparently, that was a lot to do with he was dealing with some concussion-like symptoms at the end of the year, but he wasn't actually coming or testing with an actual concussion. And so he would get really bad headaches at times during the game, and he'd come out to the sideline. It was just more of like the staff was worried to put him back in because they didn't want him to hurt himself more. But he hasn't had any issues since the end of the season, so it looks like, I mean, wheels up for Henderson to just have another massive season and a pretty big workload for this offense. Yeah, lot, lots of great information there. And, and it does, at least for now, kind of answer some of those questions that people were having about the Ohio State wide receiver room. Because I know a lot of people who are just like, oh yeah, it's going to be JSN, Marvin Harrison Jr., Emeka Ibuka, don't worry about it. And I'm like, I it never struck me as like that was going to be the case, especially when I was hearing some people saying that like, Ibuka was honestly going to be probably a slot guy. And I'm like, well, if, that, if he's a slot guy, he's going to be put behind JSN, so he's not going to be a starter. Um, and then again, I know Fleming hasn't been exactly the wide receiver that a lot of people wanted him to be, but he's still there. Like the fact is, he hasn't transferred out yet, which I think said said a lot about where he thought he was on that depth chart. Because I think if he was, he's he's a highly recruited guy enough to where if he felt like he was falling behind to the twos, he probably would have been in that first wave of transfers after the season, and or at least very if um, if we weren't getting reports of him being in the starting lineup now, he would be a prime candidate to transfer in the spring or after the spring. I don't know, Nate. What are your kind of thoughts on all of this? Um, any bits of those information really kind of stick out to you? Yeah, two quick things that I want to that I want to touch on. Um, you know, we've we've become accustomed to with the Ohio State wide receiver room that they run their their hockey lines, so to speak, where they they run a whole group out and then you know uh, not too you know a few plays they run a, another whole group out again. I, I know that's kind of been their their mo in the past. But it didn't feel like that's what they did last year. It felt like they had their three, they played their three last year, and then some of the other guys just got some run towards the end of the games. So I, I guess my concern would be with Egbuka in that if if Fleming is the guy that ends up getting that outside position, um, where does he fit in if they don't run those hockey lines and he doesn't get a chance to um, – you know, prove that he belongs on the field as much as some of those other guys. So I guess that's my concern, you know, and I know Matt's, you know, you've, we've talked about this on Twitter. You, you think Egg is going to get his opportunity um, next year. So I'm just really interested to see what, you know, what percentage of the snaps he ends up seeing. Yeah, I think for me, a lot of that is what you just mentioned. The the hockey lineup changes, really, they haven't done that, I from my view, really since the COVID season, I think a lot of that was because they had Wilson and Olave and JSN, where now I think it's fair to say the only one that they can trust in that room is JSN. Like, we think Marvin Harrison is going to be great because of the Rose Bowl performance that he had, but none of those guys have shown anything, including Fleming, who's been there for the past couple of years. And it does seem more and more now that they're willing to kind of JSN is locked in at the slot, which, which we haven't seen either. We saw them a couple of years ago, move Wilson all around. And then they were like, well, no, we're going to put him in a slot for a season. Then he moved back outside to where he belongs. I think the only player that is safe on the field for that wide receiver core is JSN. 
And that's why I think Mecca is going to get his because as much as I love Jaden Ballard and, and moving into the Z, and again, the fact that Day has consistently talked about we're putting Mecca everywhere. We want him to know every single position. I think they're going to move him all around. And, you know, I think obviously JSN is going to be the main guy there, but I also think defenses know that. And I think defenses are going to key in to try and stop him as much as possible. And if they do, that's going to leave room for a Marvin Harrison or Mecca when he's on the field because maybe it's just a little bit of me seeing Fleming for the past couple of years. And, and Jared mentioned highly recruited at wide receiver. He's the number one guy in his class, but he's very raw. Brian Hartline has talked a lot about how he's continued to develop. We just haven't seen it where even last year, I saw great plays out of a Mecca And I think if he gets on the field and is able to prove it in different spots, he's going to get his because I, I just don't think JSN has the year he had last year. Cause he had, Defense is shading toward Wilson and Olave, which allowed him to do what he did. I think he is now Wilson and Olave, and none of those other guys have proven anything. So a defense is, I think, will shade away from those guys a little bit more. Let's hope they do a better job. Sorry. No, you go ahead, Nate. I was just going to say, let's hope they do a better job than what Utah did by putting a uh, backup running back on him in the bowl game. So (laughs) Absolutely. Bringing us back to CFF a little bit, I was kind of diving into like where uh, these wide receivers are being taken. Uh, for Ohio State and again like obviously JSN number one wide receiver pretty much undisputed in every single mock it kind of gets a little varied after him Marvin Harrison currently being taken as a wide receiver 11 Um, I don't think people expect him to finish at the wide receiver 11 I think it's more along the lines that they just know that they're going to get production out of an X receiver in the Ohio State um, offense every single week Um, so I think that's more of it and just a lot uh, much higher floor there the thing is that Emeka Ubuka has currently been taken in a CFF redraft as a wide receiver 47, typically right around the 10th round. In my opinion, currently, one of the worst values you can get right now because Julian Fleming is going undrafted. And as you said in that report, he's locked in currently as the Z receiver. So if he is a starter and he's going undrafted, I'd much rather wait to grab Julian Fleming. And I think some of the best balls that we did, Nate, like Julian Fleming wouldn't be gone until like the late teen, early 20s in terms of the round that he was being taken in. So it's like, I'd much rather have that than a guy that I'm going to be sitting there praying gets um, get th- gets thrown out there on a couple plays every single game that they get they throw to. Am I, am I talking crazy here, y'all? No, I mean, I I think that Fleming has some has some upside given where he's currently going in drafts. Um, it just you know, do you want to invest how much you want to invest in what appears to be at best the clear wide receiver three? I mean, the, the, I mean, the wide receiver three for Ohio State was a still a top 25 wide receiver last year. Yeah, but the wide receiver three this year isn't JSN. Fair enough. Or Olave or. Olave, or well, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I think it was Olave <laughs> last year for CFF purposes. Or may have been, it right. may have been Wilson actually. It, it, was, this uh, time yet. it was JSN. Olave was tw- oh, okay. wide receiver 21. JSN was wide receiver 25. And then Wilson finished the wide receiver nine. Interesting. Um, Jason didn't I get think as many my, touchdowns. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, for for Fleming, like I think in best ball, I'm fine taking him because I do think you're still betting on a lot of upside there because we just don't know what he's going to be. Again, he was a really raw wide receiver coming into college, and we've never been able to actually see him put that together on the field. I mean, I distinctly remember the COVID season because Felix was was big on on Julian Fleming as well. I remember talking with him. I, I want to say it was the Michigan State game where. 
Justin Fields had to take a timeout because Julian Fleming lined up in the wrong spot on the field. And then after that, he never got back on the field. Then last year, he dealt with injuries in spring practice and throughout the season. So we just don't know what he's going to be. So I, I'd be fine taking a shot on him in best ball because he could end up being a top 25 guy. But I think there's a lot for me. There's a lot more questions for Fleming than there is a Mecca because we saw Mecca do it. And, and most of the time with the backup quarterbacks too last year, like a lot of the time he came out and produced was with Kyle McCord. It wasn't even with CJ Stroud. Now he's going to get worked in with Stroud and we know what Stroud can do in that offense and how he'll hit the open guy. He's not just going to target one player. So I, I do think that that speaks I don't know. I think I'd agree with you. I wouldn't take Mecca that high, but for Julian Fleming, it'd be more of a best ball situation for me because I just don't know what I'm getting. Yeah. Again, the part that I just can't shake is that Fleming is being listed as the starter at Z. So I know that we haven't seen it, but I can guarantee you Ryan Day and the staff has seen a lot more than we ever have. And so if they're willing to put him as the starter at Z and say that Mecca Ibuka is just going to be moving around in the twos, I'm probably going to still take a little bit. I'm, I'm, again, I'm going to put my eggs in terms of the basket for Fleming, who is a listed starter right now, than Egbuka. All right. So we talked enough Ohio State. Let's go ahead and move on to our final kind of spring camp news here. And we're going to move over to Purdue. And the interesting thing about here is obviously David Bell moving on. Um, last year's preseason wide receiver one, I believe he finished in the round like wide receiver 14, I believe off the top of my head. That's right around where he finished. Uh, so still a very good wide receiver, very pass heavy offense we got going on here. Aiden O'Connell comes back. The two guys I have shown here on the graphic, Brock Thompson, Milton Wright, two guys that a lot of people are pretty high on for CFF purposes this year. But they also got guys like Elijah Canyon coming in from Auburn, as well as Tyrone Tracy coming in from Iowa. Nate, you're the one who put this on the show sheet for today. What are you hearing and what can we expect out of this wide receiver room going forward? Yeah, when whenever I was uh, initially thinking about some spring camps that I was going to talk about, uh, this was not one that initially came to mind. And then I started uh, looking into it last night and I saw a repetitive theme. And I decided, okay, this this is worth this is worth noting. That repetitive theme was that Iowa transfer Tyrone Tracy has been the absolute talk of camp so far from oh. Jeff Brom. Um, Purdue's you know Purdue's getting a a good look at him because Milton Wright, um, who missed the bowl game because of eligibility because of academics, uh, is still currently out. They they haven't really said if he's out due to academics or if there's maybe some kind of injury thing going on. He, he's been seen on the sidelines. He just has not been seen uh, on the field. Um, Brock Thompson's out. He had uh, off-season surgery, and that's yes. been a recurring thing for him. Uh, Sheffield, who's a nice slot receiver, has been out as well as Yassine. So there's a lot of injuries going on. Um, you mentioned Elijah Canyon came comes over from Auburn. Um read a report where uh, Brom said that in the five practices they've had so far, he's been injured twice. Oh and that God. is, that is a, uh, that's an issue because that's something he dealt with at Auburn. So, um, you know, buyer beware if you're interested in, in Elijah Canyon, given his injury history. But uh, I mean, Tracy was a high end athlete coming out of high school um, where he had, so he was used as a hybrid in high school. He had 1100 yards and 17 touchdowns receiving his senior year to go along with, 1,400 yards and 13 touchdowns rushing. Um, I believe he was the Iowa player of the year, um, his senior season. And Brom said that they want to use him at wide receiver. They want to use him at running back and special teams. 
Um, you know, I'll, I'll give a slight pass on, on Tracy due to the pedestrian numbers that he had in his career at Iowa. He played, I think he played two or three years there. He redshirted one. Um, I want to say he had around 70 catches during his time at Iowa, but Iowa is just an abomination when it comes to uh, wide receiver production. If you are interested in investing in them for CFF purposes, don't. If you're interested in investing in them for uh, Debbie purposes, don't. They don't produce NFL or college worthy wide receivers. Don't do it. Um, but I mean, obviously, Bell moves on. Uh, Wright's got his concern with academics. Thompson has his concern with health. You know, I, I took Rondell Moore in every draft that I could back in 2018 when he was a freshman at the very end of those drafts because of what I was hearing in camp. And I'm not saying Tracy is Rondell Moore, but please don't, don't get me confused. But a lot of what I'm hearing from Brom through the first five spring practices is a lot. It reminds me a lot of what um, was said about Rondell Moore when he showed up. Yeah, absolutely. And you're going to want guys like that who are getting touches in every which way that the coaches can like Purdue's already a very, like a very pass heavy offense, but they've never really had like a set running back. So if you get a guy like Tracy, who is going to be used at both the running back and the wide receiver roles, I think that's absolutely somebody that's worth kind of picking up as like a bench player that you could cut pretty easily if, if after a week or two, like it turns out it's all hype. No, no, um, no, what's the word I'm looking for? Nothing actual being there. Um, I'll ask you this, Nate, because you did mention the academic worries about Milton Wright and everything. Milton Wright's currently being taken as a wide receiver 15 in CFF drafts, currently right, right at the end of the fourth round, typically. Is that a value that you like, or is it somebody that you're trying to avoid due to those academic concerns? Um, if you would ask me a week ago, my answer would have been different. Uh, that's how much it's it's kind of changed recently. I absolutely love that value. Um, if I know for sure that he's going to be eligible. Uh, yeah, there's a, definitely a concern that he couldn't get eligible for the bowl game. Concern that he's still not practicing in the spring. They've mentioned that he's got to get some things right, which leads me to believe he's still working on those academics. I want to invest in the... Jeff Brom, wide receiver one, Rondell Rondo Moore, David Bell, um, a handful of guys during his time at Western Kentucky. He's proven year in, year out. He's a top three to four coach as far as systems when it comes to producing wide receiver production. So, yeah, I'm totally cool with taking Milton Wright if we're if we're confident he's going to be suiting up and, and be that wide receiver one. I'm less confident about that now that he's currently not practicing in spring. All right. Uh, Matt, do you have any thoughts on this Purdue wide receiver room? Um, again, you're up there in Big Ten country hearing anything? No, I, I'm I'm very intrigued to see how that plays out, like Nate was saying, because I mean, obviously everybody is pivoting toward Milton Wright. I, that'd be the guy that I would, up until literally five minutes ago when Nate started talking, was the guy that I would have been drafted. I, I honestly had no idea about that. I mean, no Brom has done a good job of not just producing um, CFF wide receivers, but quarterbacks as well. Like he, He's done a really great job of 
of getting those guys even before he came over to Purdue. Um, I think it was Brady White uh, was a guy who was really good, not necessarily a good quarterback, but good in for fantasy purposes. Like he's done a really good job of producing those quarterbacks as well. And, and Aiden O'Connell looked pretty good at the end of last season. So I, I definitely would want the wide receiver one for Purdue, whether it ends up being Tracy or Wright. Correction, Brady White was the quarterback at Memphis and right. uh, uh he he did have a white at western kentucky that oh, he, oh I, okay. yeah yeah it just wasn't brady white but it was it was i remember the last name and it's because i have a, a very like weird love with memphis and and their wide receivers and in, in that team so that's probably why i thought team brady javon white. ivory let's go anyway <laughs> so we do have a little bit of extra time here or nate do you have any more thoughts on this before we move on no no we're good we do have a little bit of extra time here. We got a couple of like extra storylines here that do either one of you kind of want to bring up here real quick. Uh, sure. I can talk about one of, uh, you want me to just hit on one really just, quick or just hit, yeah. hit on one really quick that you think is important for people. Uh, Evan Stewart. We, he is and impressing a lot here at Texas A&M camp. I uh, actually been running with the ones. I do think that's important. I know a lot of people, don't necessarily trust Jimbo when it comes to just offense in general, unless it's a running back. He's not really done a good job of producing quarterbacks and wide receivers. But I will say uh, this year he was doing a lot of uh, interviews for 24-7 sports because of him getting Connor Weigman in at quarterback. And he's mentioned that he knows now that the offenses are switching more to pass-heavy pass heavy offenses, and that's what he wants to do. That's why he recruited Weigman. Um, the fact that Everett Stewart is already running with the ones, he's a guy that I really liked in this freshman class he's a top five wide receiver for me and the fact that he's already looking explosive they're saying at camp he's looked like the best wide receiver that is there uh and again jumped guys like chase lane moose muhammad who i think had a lot of talk coming into this offseason maybe jumping up in those ones the fact that he's already jumped in and running with the ones i think is a big thing uh and watching and lj johnson LJ Johnson has not gotten any run with the ones yet and i don't know they've not said it's because of an injury he has been sitting behind I don't remember their names now, but it was two players. I'm going to be honest. I had never even heard of before. Uh, we're both running over him. He's gotten in a couple practices now recently with the twos, uh, but that's not looking great for LJ Johnson. Who's a player. I think we all thought was just going to take over now that Spiller's gone and kind of be in that Spiller role. And he's really not getting that run. Nate, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that's interesting. Um, if Stewart does play uh, a significant role, it will go against every single historical data point that we have on Jimbo Fisher and how he utilizes freshmen. This is a guy that will fight kicking and screaming not to play freshmen. So if that happens, that says a lot about the, the talent and uh, the ability of Evan Stewart. And that would be something, you know, for people in C2C leagues, Debbie leagues. I mean, obviously he's somebody that's getting taken early as it is because he's a top five wide receiver coming out. But I mean, that that'll make you perk up a little bit because Jimbo absolutely does not like playing freshman. Uh, I think it says a lot about the NIL deal they probably have with him too. <laughs> Maybe so. It also may say something about the, the current wide receiver room. I know it's, it's not exactly uh, spectacular to begin with. So, and plus they've just lost a, uh, uh, demand Moss, so but we don't even need to get into that. But, um, <laughs> but as the LJ Johnson thing's fascinating because A Shane isn't even playing this spring, A Shane's out because he's running track. So, 
you can't get time with the ones when you're supposed to be kind of the next man up after, after a Shane, or at least split time with a Shane. Cause we still question at 185 if he can be an every down back. Um, so if he's not getting time with the ones, well, that's a, that's a red flag. Um, this could have kind of a uh, Kamar Wheaton kind of feel to it, where if you can't work your way up the depth chart, maybe you start looking at other places where you can. I don't know. I again, like Matt said, like I, I remember reading the names as well, and then like just not recognizing them whatsoever, and I'm just like, it's, something's off here. Like some, something's off. We're not being told something. So maybe gonna, in, maybe it's in the doghouse. Could be in the doghouse, or could like maybe again, maybe there is an injury that we just don't know about. Uh, that they just don't want to disclose just yet. It'd be weird for them not to, but even still. Um, yeah, the- I want to reserve judgment on LJ Johnson and that, at least until later in the spring. If we continue to hear about this, then absolutely, I would just be, first of all, full steam ahead on A-Chain, uh, but even still. Yeah, the, the only reason I worry maybe something that he's in the doghouse is the fact that he has gotten in on one practice, but he still ran with the twos behind. It was Amari Daniels, and I don't know his first name, but Crownover is his last name. Like It's two guys I've never even heard of, and, and both those guys are running ahead of him in all the first couple practices that I was reading about. And then the last one, he did run with the twos. And, but okay. there is no mention of injury. So that's kind of what worries me because I'm with you. Like, I feel like they'd say something if it was just, oh, oh hey, LJ is not running because he's dealing with an ankle issue or something like that. And there's been no mention of an injury that I can find. All right. And Nate, do you have any, any of these storylines of interest here that uh, you just want to touch on real quick? Well, you'd mentioned here on the show sheet, the, uh, the Miami uh, wide receivers situation and, and Matt, I know, I think you, I think I saw you tweet about this earlier. So you could probably touch on this even better than I could, but um, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd mentioned on here, just not being able to separate. I know that, uh, it, it sounds like Tyler Van Dyke from the early spring practice reports looks really good. Um, but that the wide receivers have left a little bit to, to be desired here. And obviously they've got a couple guys moving on, um, Rambo, who was clearly, uh, you know, just My boy. went, he went off last year. So that was, uh, you know, he moves on um what's the name of the other guy um mike uh harley yeah mike harley mike harley moves on as well too so uh you know i mean it's a lot of young guys it's a lot of guys that were highly recruited um frank latson doesn't do anything for me he comes over from clemson he had problems there i don't anticipate that he's going to look all that great for miami either you know it's just it's a system that uh, you know, between Mario Cristobal and Gaddis, and I, I mentioned this um, in my stock down report, uh, preseason stock down report, that I already have concerns about the system as a whole. And if it's going to be able to produce high-end um, passing production, they just do not play at the pace that you would like for them to, to invest in a lot of their receiving options and they don't have that level of efficiency uh, of like, a, say, a Lincoln-Riley offense, which may not run a ton of plays, but is highly efficient in their, their plays um, or their yards per play. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's not exactly giving you all warm and fuzzies from what we're seeing from the wide receiver group so far. Yeah, so everything I read about it was that, like, as you mentioned, Ladson not doing much. It does seem like um, Keyshawn Smith is kind of locked into one of the starters, as is Jacoby George, and that Tyler Van Dyke and Jake Garcia have both done a good job in practice, at least, of trying to force the ball down the field. 
but these wide receivers are not creating any separation, not really giving them any windows to throw to. In fact, that's a lot of the reason why I believe Elijah Arroyo and Will Mallory are getting so much love coming out of the Hurricanes camp because it seems like the quarterbacks are, are targeting them a ton because they're the only guys getting open. And, and that's kind of my big concern as well. You know, as we all know, Felix is a big fan of Tyler Van Dyke and Josh Gaddis going there. We thought maybe he was going to help open up this offense. I don't know that's going to happen if these guys can't get open because I don't know that Miami's secondary is that great either. And the fact that these guys are already struggling to create any separation for these quarterbacks, uh, it definitely concerns me a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And it pretty much if this, if this keeps up, unfortunately, it's just another reason to kind of fade Tyler Van Dyke a little bit. Like Tyler Van Dyke at the start of the season, at the start of this offseason, was like a top 12 CFF uh QB for me this year and like he's slowly just been kind of just dropping down down in the rankings with every little bit of news that I hear and most of it's not even his fault like he still seems like a great quarterback like if I owned him in C to C I'd I'd be very comfortable with him being a potential NFL guy one day but as it currently stands right now in terms of production like I'm gonna have to wait on him and let people take him ahead of me right now so yeah I mean it's it's not a so he's not a he's not a dual threat running back right so you're no. not going to get running production out of him so you're limited so you, if you if you're taking him at the point where you're expecting him to be your QB one potentially you know even QB two which is where he's going now you're going to have to count on a lot of passing production it is not a head coach or offensive coordinator that has proven they have the system in place to do that or pay, play with the pace to do that. So this isn't Mike Leach, right? This isn't, um, you know, this isn't Purdue and with Brom. I mean, this is a situation where you're, you're betting against the odds. If you think he's going to produce at a high, high end level and, and get you 28 to 30 points on a consistent basis. Yeah, definitely somebody I'm going to be avoiding for the time future, unless some things kind of change over there. That brings us to the, pretty much the end of our main show, y'all. I did forget to make one major, major announcement at the beginning of this video, so I do want to kind of cover that real quick. Mentioned, again, C2C, lots of great stuff coming to you guys, and if you're listening to this or you're watching this on YouTube and everything, you've probably already seen the announcements from their side of things, but we're going to go ahead and talk about the launch of the new Campus Canton website. Tons of great stuff, tons of great new tools on there, rankings for, both, for C2C, CFF, Devi, all sorts of things, tons of great tools. We will, I will go ahead and mention just some of the things that we have coming specifically for CFF, like the fact that CFF is getting its own page. We'll be getting our own articles there. We'll be um, all stuff specifically for CFF, just as well as a lot of just stuff that deals with college guys in general. But some things that a lot of you've been asking for, such as rankings, myself, Nate Marquise, Brandon Sanders and Chris Moxley have all put together roughly 72, no, 60, 60 quarterbacks, 72 running backs, 72 wide receivers, and 36 tight ends each, and have compiled them into rankings for you guys. You can see, if you're watching this on YouTube, in the top right corner there, you can decide whether or not you want to see it from Chris, myself, Brandon, or Nate. You can see it from all of us. Great stuff there. Again, a lot of you guys have been asking for that. Another thing you guys have been asking for is CFF ADP. It will be there for you guys. All you have to do is just check off one little box, and it'll show you all the ADP that we have been compiling through those mock drafts that a lot of you listening have been very helpful in 
making happen for us. And so we're going to continue to have that throughout the offseason, constantly updated for you guys. Lots of great stuff. Matt, you're one of the C2C founders and everything. Anything else you want to mention about this new website that I have not touched on here? No, I mean, we're, we're just very thankful to everybody who's listened or anybody who has helped support us. It's been a great ride this, this past season. Obviously, thankful to you guys who've come in and just made our CFF team one of the best in the business because uh, we were, you know, Chris was doing a good job, but then like you had people like me who were trying to do, and it's just not helpful at all. I just need to stay in my lane, and I'm very thankful that guys like you were able to come in, and I'm learning so much from you guys. Just tune in. If you're listening this Monday, morning tune in tonight we will have a special announcement on the youtube channel going over all kinds of other stuff that are coming to the website if you guys are interested if you're listening to this after monday go back it'll be on the youtube channel and just you know thank you to you guys as well for helping us and being able to build out everything we are for the cff side because it wouldn't be possible without you guys so thank you nate i'll throw this out for you as well you have been very very happy with the new player data tool do you want to tell people a little bit about that and how that's been helping you Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, the amount of information uh, that you can search, uh, be able to categorize um, and, and really fine tune exactly what you're looking for historically. It helps for me. I'm a systems guy. I think everybody knows that by now. I follow coaching systems in college fantasy. I will I will, I will scream it from, from the mountaintop that System is more important in college fantasy than talent itself. That seems crazy for a lot of our NFL folks, but that's how college fantasy works. Um, so the tools that, that are there on the website is incredible how much information I was able to sort through and be able to look up uh, and find trends uh, in, in all of the data that's there. It's, it's really fascinating. I encourage everybody to go check it out. Again, so much stuff for you guys there and everything. I can't wait to, like, I've, I've dived into it and I feel like I've only scratched the surface in terms of the possibilities of the information that I can find. And all of you guys can get access to it as well if you just become a member of the site. I believe, Matt, there's three different tiers that are going to be coming to it. I don't know all the details of what's involved in every tier, so I'm not even going to try. But it's very clear on the new website what is involved in every tier. And so just go ahead to the website, check it out for yourself. Matt, Nate, really appreciate you guys coming on today. This was fun. This is the first time that we've had three people. Oh, maybe you guys want something to want to say? Yeah, yeah, real quick for, I guess, a little nugget for everybody that has stuck around um, towards the end. Nothing's worse than when we do these shows and then something drops seconds after uh, we conclude. There was news that um, Austin Reed from West Florida has transferred to Western Kentucky, um, which is, he's the quarterback. He was, I believe like the division two player of the year or something like that. He was one of the top division two. He, he had offers from uh, a number of mid majors, even a few P five schools. So just uh, some interesting news there very late into the, uh, into the recording here. It sounds like he'll compete with uh, Jared Dagey and, uh, and Oceans and some of those other guys that have been there uh, on roster at Western Kentucky, but obviously something to keep an eye on because uh, if that, if that Zach Kitley, um, you know, system continues there uh, and, and Austin Reed end up, ends up winning that job. That's a, that's a very lucrative position there. Oh, absolutely. And it sounds like I'm going to have to ring up the Hannah banana phone uh, to figure <laughs> out uh, what all is going down there? You you guys know what I'm talking about with that. 
But even so, guys, again, Nate, Matt, really thank you guys for coming on here today. Uh, first time we've done a show with two guests on here at the same time, and I feel like it went over very, very well in preparation for something that we'll be announcing here in the next couple of days. Had an absolute blast with you guys. You guys brought a ton of great information. Once again, guys, I, if you want to contact any of us, I am CFF underscore Jared. You can contact Nate. He is at CFF or just CFF Nate, no underscore in there. CFF Nate. You can talk to Matt. He is Sports Fanatic at Sports Fanatic MB. Again, very, very uh, good about uh, reaching you guys and DMs and everything as best that we can. We all have lives, so we'll go, we're going to respond instantly, but we do our best. And even still, if you're watching this on YouTube, like, subscribe, leave comments down there below. Y'all, I do really like hearing your thoughts, and I love going back and forth with you guys there in the comments. So don't be afraid. Don't be shy. I'm, I, I don't bite hard. Anyway... Again, thank you guys so much for coming in today. And all of you guys listening, have a wonderful and blessed day. Thank you.